This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Bulls. There was a poll in the iPaper today showing that voters trust Rishi Sunak to handle the economy more than they do Keir Starmer. Katie, do you think this is an area where Labour is going to struggle to attack the new Prime Minister? Well, I think the good news for Labour is the economy is still in very bad shape and ultimately that that dismal outlook ought to help the opposition. But what I think this poll does show is the challenge for Labour of moving from Liz Truss as Prime Minister to Rishi Sunak as Prime Minister. And I think that for example, Keir Starmer, I don't think, ever quite fully believed the huge poll lead that Labour had against this trust when, of course, after the not-so-many budget, everything was in freefall, the market response, the, the 45p tax uh, cut, which ultimately landed very badly and they had to U-turn on quite quickly. But I think it all added to the sense that they against this trust, they had an opponent which ultimately made their job very easy. Labour didn't have to do much. And I think from the Rachel Reeves quasi-quartang perspective, Rachel Reeves could point to her Bank of England experience and say, you know, I am a, I, ha, I am someone who knows these institutions, has worked for them compared to this person who has not costed things. And now, of course, they do have to pivot. I don't think Labour, as I write in the politics column this week, it's very easy to find Labour politicians who say, oh, we're not worried about Rishi Sunak. You know, I had one front bench say to me, I've been ready for Rishi Sunak for years. He is, you know, the most overrated politician in Westminster, which I don't think is what Rishi's team uh, mean when they talk about ready for Rishi. But I think Rishi Sunak does uh, create challenges. For example, I I understand Keir Starmer's basically banned his team from posting... polls you know like all these polls uh in in whatsapp groups who's saying don't get ahead of yourselves don't get distracted and while i think since rishi since come in the the approval ratings are good i think the tories are up in one poll by five points it still means a large labor majority vote election tomorrow so we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves here but i think on the economy, which is clearly going to be the defining thing, there's an interesting question for Labour as to what do they do come the 17th of November if uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt propose you know, spending cuts, tax rises. How does Labour respond to that? James, how do you think Labour will respond? Do you think they're going to struggle because voters are still scarred by Liz Truss's budget where they, her and Kwasi Kwarteng wanted to borrow huge amounts of money to fund spending plans? So, look, one of the advantages that any government has is that it controls the baseline, right? So what it says becomes the default. And if you're planning to deviate from that, you will have to explain how you will do it. Now, that, I think, because of the failure of trustonomics, has become more difficult for Labour because I think that, you know, if they say that they're, just, that they're planning to borrow more for day-to-day spending, I think a lot of the public, which who previously might have thought that that was fine, was, oh, we saw what happened with that when Liz Truss tried that, she was obviously borrowing for tax cuts rather than, than spending. And so you've entered in a situation where if, you, if Labour either have to do what they did in 1997, which is to accept the Tory government spending plans, which obviously limits your ambitions, or if they're not going to accept them, then you're going to immediately get dragged onto the question of what, what taxes are you going to raise. I think the big question is this, in, if you look at the polling at the moment, is... But there is the biggest disjunct I've ever seen between the approval numbers for a party leader, 
and the approval numbers for a party. And everything we know about British politics tells us that those numbers will end up converging. And I think, obviously, the big question is where do they converge? Do they converge on Rishi Sunak's more positive numbers where he is close to or, uh, you know, it's clear that if you look at the if you look at the, the number of polls we've seen in the last few days, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer are essentially level pegging. Some of them have Rishi, some, some polls have Rishi Sunak very marginally ahead. Some polls have Keir Starmer very marginally ahead. So, do they end up converging there, or do they converge down, which will be less, much less good for the Tories at the Tory approval number, which I think is going to minus forty plus uh, at the moment. So, I mean, I, and then the other question is, you know, how do the public feel? about the last six weeks, if you see what I mean, which is, do the public look at Rishi Sunak and say, oh, yes, he did warn about that? And you can see that Rishi Sunak is trying to say, when he attacked Keir Starmer, for having kind of offered fairy tales at PMQs. It's an obvious echo of his attack on this trust and Tory leadership contest. Do people think, oh, he was right about that? Or do people look at the Tories and think, don't talk to us about economic competence, look at what just happened, you know, and so I think these are the two big questions about British politics that we currently don't know the answer to. But if we did know the answer to, we'd have a much better idea about what's going to happen in the next few years. There is some around Keir Starmer actually see a bit of an opportunity here. If you look at where Keir Starmer has actually made the most progress, is often having a fight with his own side. So he had a fight with his own side on Labour and anti-Semitism. He also had a fight with his own side at last year's Tory conference on the rules. And often people say, oh, it's navel-gazing. But I think his team found it's quite a good way to signal to the public that this is a different Labour Party, particularly at a time when we're speaking after... um, you've had an attack ad, basically, or, you know, attack email go out to Conservative members, which I think mentions Jeremy Corbyn about four or five times, trying to link Keir Starmer to Jeremy Corbyn, which I think is... I'm sceptical of how how successful that's going to be, because what Keir Starmer's done quite well, in a way, is having fights for his own side to differentiate himself from what came before. And I think on spending, there are definitely some in the party who will want Labour to be, you know, anti-austerity 2.0, promising lots of spending projects, whereas I think Keir Starmer's given quite a few clear signals that he, he will, he's not inclined to, you know, promise a huge investment in, from his government right now, given the situation. So if you look at his speech at um, Labour conference, when he says, you know, this Labour government won't be able to do everything it wants to do straight away. You also have Rachel Reeves, who I think uh, really believes that fiscal responsibility is the way you're going to get people over to Labour. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to support the spending cuts that the Tories come up with, but I would be surprised if uh, they have a response, which is, you know, we plan to fund that you can have a situation, and that's what one member of the Shadow Cabinet said to me, you know, or are you just going to have a, a year of Labour saying they're not going to spend any money? Mm-hmm. And, not, and that, will, won't, that will be controversial within the party, but I think that is probably, um, and that's a, a blunt way of putting it, but I, I think Labour will have to be very careful, and I think they are quite keen to show that they do understand restraint. So that sounds like they're going closer towards the baseline then that James was talking about. There were comments by Angela Rayner on Thursday saying that she was actually quite relaxed about people being filthy rich, in her words, as long as they pay their taxes which also sounds like a bit of a deviation perhaps from the Jeremy Corbyn era. 
Yes, I think we're definitely moving away from you know this idea of profit as a dirty word, um, and actually Labour are trying to be more pro I think it's interesting coming from Angela Rayner because Rachel Reeves has shared a chance of being lots more in terms of business outreach. Um, I think Kistam has obviously been a key part of that too. Um, but I think Angela Rayner has always been seen as someone who, within the shadow cabinet, is more representative of the Corbyn Wing's probably the wrong way of putting it, but the left of the party. Um, and you think about her views on you know, strikes and so forth. So I think her saying this, saying, you know, you can be very rich, just pay your tax, um, is it's coherent with what others in the shadow cabinet have been saying. But it's still an interesting development because that person can often be, uh, you know, a bit of the uh, bit um, on the other side of, of, of the messaging. And James, if Labour's going to say that actually they're not, they're not worlds away from where the Tories are economically... How can Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives respond to then accusations that they've just mismanaged the economy for the last decade or so? So I think this, I think the challenge for the Tories is this, which is if Labour is Tories have been in power, will have been in power at the next election for fourteen years, and one of the things that ninety seven showed is that if you kind of shut down the economy as a, as, a, as an issue that the Tories can 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 go on. You make things more difficult, you know, obviously for the Tory Party in terms of kind of restricting. Their room for manoeuvre. I think that I think the challenge for the Tories is this: is the necessary but not sufficient condition for a Tory revival is just a period of competent government. I feel for Andrew Neil actually puts very well on LBC, which is you know Nick Ferrari said to him, you know what 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 would be success for for Rishi Sunak and the Tories, and and I think he is right in this that you know by December you've got the World Cup on the front pages, not politics, and that you could just take some of the heat out of everything, slow things down, and then you can basically say to the public, oh, come back and give us another look. But I think this kind of, this constant diet of political drama, I think is one of the things that the public is fed up with. And I think that, you know, they need, they need to, to, to show, say to people, you know, that politics can go back to the kind of, the kind of role that people want politics to play in their life, which is something in the background that they, they might think about for one minute a day, but, but no, they don't need to do any more. And they're not constantly worrying about you know what, 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 what spectacular piece of news, political or economic, that they are going to be confronted with that day. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie, and thank you for listening.